0: or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. A Sunday school teacher gathers her tiny students around her on Easter morning to tell them the story of Jesus' resurrection. She begins with the obvious question. Can anyone tell me what Easter is all about? Little boy raises his hand quickly. And he says, Easter is like when all your family is together. And there's this big turkey. And there's lots of food. And dad watches football all day. And there's a pie made from a pumpkin. The teacher says, no, that's not quite it. That's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Anyone else? little girl snaps her hand up in the air. Easter is when there's this big celebration. And the teacher thought, now we're getting somewhere. And the neighbors come over, and they have, like, hot dogs and flags. And it gets dark that night, and we have sparklers and firecrackers. No, honey, that's Fourth of July. That's Independence Day. Anybody else? By this time, the teacher is wondering if she'd even have asked the question. One more little girl raises her hand and she says, Easter is a Sunday after Jesus died. And she said, oh, now we got it. And everyone was real sad because they put him behind a rock. Yeah. But then everyone gathers and waits for him to come out. And when he comes out, if he sees his shadow, (laughs) there'll be six more weeks of winter. I love that story. It's so, it's so precious because that's actually how little ones eagerly want to tell a story. My Cindy has taught school for years now, and the last few years her students have been pre-K age. So most are about four years old. And that's exactly how they tell stories. Cindy's tales are legion. Say, kids, what animal begins with T? Elephant, they'll say. They're so eager to talk. I go to her class sometimes to play guitar and sing some silly songs for them. And last time I was there, I was getting ready to sing Old MacDonald Had a Farm. And I said, does anyone know this song? little girl raises her hand. And I said, what's this song about, honey? And she said, well, I, I, I don't know, but my mom, she got a new truck because... My dad did something, and she got this truck, and now mom doesn't cry as much as she used to. And I was like, okay, let's sing Old McDonald right now. Cindy was quick to instruct me afterwards, you never ask this group, do you have any questions? Unless you're willing to accept too much information, kids just have no filter. But I'll ask the question of you today, rhetorically, do not raise your hand and do not blurt it out. What is Easter all about? Ask a person on the street and they may not know the details. Bunnies, painted eggs, Reese's peanut butter cups may be as far as you get. Our Jewish brothers and sisters will be quick to note that our Easter celebration is situated around their Jewish festival of Passover, a springtime observance with a history of some 4,000 years with a date that moves with the lunar calendar, and they would tell us that we are following their tradition in many ways. But for practicing Christians, even nominal cultural adherence to Christianity, we know it is about Jesus coming out from behind that rock. There were no shadows, it was all light and brilliance as Jesus became the Christ, resurrected from the dead after the tragic events of Good Friday. Easter, however, is not a name or a title mentioned in the Bible. Never. Not once. The word didn't exist in the Middle Eastern lexicon 2,000 years ago. The word Easter is not Hebrew. It's not Aramaic. It's not Latin. It's not Greek. It is Anglo-Saxon. An ancient English word. Easter was the name Of the pagan goddess, Easter. Literally meant to face the east. More practically, to shine. To see the rising sun. Easter was the dawn. The waking of the day. Celtic and Germanic tribes all over northern Europe and the British Isles. Celebrated Easter with the spring equinox. That perfectly balanced day of equal light and darkness. And the annual commemoration that Easter, she, had once again prevailed. Winter, once again, would recede. And that's what Easter was all about for our old English speaking ancestors. So as Christianity first reached the Anglo-Saxons, Easter was well established. Easter as they knew it. As they practiced it. As they understood It was about revelry and fertility. That's what all those rabbits and eggs are about, in case you were wondering. The death of winter, the resurrection of spring. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the story of the crucifixion or how Jesus took up life again on a Sunday morning. Had they been asked, what is Easter all about? Their stories would have sounded to us as jumbled as any four-year-old story told today. It was simply foreign to them until a man named Aidan landed on their shores. Now, if your name is Braden or Caden or Jaden or Hayden, you have Aidan to thank for that. He is your namesake. He was an Irish Christian missionary from the monastery at Iona. He crossed the northern channel of the Irish Sea and landed in what is now southwest Scotland. Back then, though, it wasn't Scotland. 1400 years ago. It was Northumbria, the kingdom of the Anglo-Saxons, the inventors and the speakers of our English language. Aidan was tireless in his effort to share Christ, and he was successful. The Anglo-Saxons converted wholeheartedly to Christianity. They held to that faith through Viking invasions, societal collapse, centuries of change. Their culture and their kingdoms would not last but Christianity and English would. And so would their adaptation of their spring festival. They gave up their goddess. But in an act. I want you to think about this. That would absolutely horrify and scandalize Christians today. They kept the name. That's right. Christian missionaries adapted to the culture to the extent that they said, keep the Easter name, keep those pagan rituals, but you better take Jesus along with it. A fantastic lesson in meeting people where they are, in adapting to the language of the people. So every time you say Easter, you are calling on the name of an Anglo Celtic goddess of fertility, flowers, and light. After their conversion, through the work of Aden, the Anglo-Saxons built a great cross in one of their coastal villages, a village now known as Ruthwell. And I want to show you this cross today. It is near modern day Dumfries. Appropriately, it is called the Ruthwell Cross, and it is the most stunning artifact of Anglo-Saxon history ever discovered. But it is more than an artifact, more than a work of art. The Ruth will cross, stands about 20 feet high, carved from red sandstone, and it is a collision of Celtic paganism and emerging Christianity. It holds the scenes and events from the life of Jesus, interlaced with Easter vines and Celtic knots. Jesus' birth, Jesus' healing of a blind man, Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene are all on this cross. There is a scene of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the coming apocalypse The Ruthwell cross was a preaching cross. If you look at the image on the far right, there's a ancient Christian missionary standing in front of the cross and he is preaching to an illiterate society, certainly preaching to a society that there was no Anglo-Saxon Bible. And so he is using this cross and the pictures on that cross to tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth. There is a poem on that cross called The Dream of the Rude. I'll get to that in a minute. And that is, in fact, the hieroglyphics that you see are runes. And it tells that story. The oldest known English work of literature ever discovered. Carved into this stone. But that, of course, means nothing to religious zealots. In 1642... Scottish Presbyterians at war with the Anglicans and the Catholics tore this cross down. They called it an idolatrous monument. And I must disclose this. The McBrayers were originally from Dumfries, Scotland. However, my ancestors left Scotland in 1605. This cross was destroyed in 1642, and we had nothing to do with that. We were already in Ireland fighting the Irish over there. Thank you very much. The Scots destroyed it. This magnificent work of art. All out of religious grievance. When they had, they said, the cross at the very heart of their faith. Well, the local minister, he thought it would be bad to destroy such a work of art. And so he hired some stonemasons to come and to disassemble it in pieces. And then he took those pieces and he incorporated into the church pews and the furniture. And then he took the largest pieces and he went and he dug a grave and hid them in the graveyard. Because he knew one day the fever will pass. One day people will recognize the beauty of this cross. And so it was in the 1800s, it was reassembled and it stands today at Ruthwell as it did in its original form. But back to that ancient point the dream of the rude. Rude is an old English word from which we get our word rod. And it is that a rod, a pole, a stick. The word evolved over time to refer to one specific stick, the cross. The rood is a crucifix, it is the tree upon which Jesus died. So the dream of the rood is an overtly Christian poem. And just as the Ruthwell cross was a preaching cross, it was a way of sharing Jesus with others. The dream of the Rood was a storytelling, meaning making, Jesus explaining tale that could be shared by word of mouth in a time when Anglo-Saxons largely could not read. We don't know who wrote this point. It's likely we will never know. But if you are an English speaker with an elegant London accent, hillbilly parlance, or Midwestern, oh you betcha, precision. This point is the first known telling of the gospel in our language. The poet dreams of the crucifixion. And in the dream, it is the crucifix itself who tells the story. It is the cross that speaks. The rood shares with the author what is experienced On Good Friday and the days that followed. It's 165 lines long. I won't read all of it. But I will share a portion for your Easter contemplation today. Obviously it's not Latin or Anglo-Saxon or Runic. It has been translated into modern English. So let's gather around for story time. Listen. I will speak to you of the sweetest dream. That came to me in the middle of the night. I saw a most wondrous tree raised on high, flooded with light, covered in gold, decorated with precious stones from every corner of the earth. All the angels of the Lord looked upon it. This was no criminal's gallows. This was a wondrous victory tree. And yet. Beneath that gold, I began to see an ancient, wretched struggle. The rood began to bleed. The gold and the jewels were replaced, now stained, now drenched in blood. This was the Savior's tree. I was overcome with sorrow. I collapsed to the ground in grief. I lay there for the longest time in tears until... Until I heard a sound, the tree began to speak. The tree began to speak to me. He said, it was so long ago, but I remember it still. I was cut down at the forest's edge. I was ripped up from my roots. Vicious men seized me there. They bore me on their shoulders and set me on a hill. Oh, they fixed me fast. They made me their spectacle. They made me bear their criminals. Then one day, I saw the Lord of all humanity come struggling up that hillside. He stopped. He looked upon me. And I knew, I knew that I would bear Him. Oh, how I wished to have failed all of His enemies that day. This young hero, God Almighty, strong and resolute. He ascended on the high gallows, brave in the sight of many, the ransom for all. How I trembled when He embraced me, but I dared not to break or bow to the ground or fall. I stood fast, even as the earth trembled. And I, I raised up. The mighty King, the Lord of heaven. They drove dark nails through me. The scars are still visible, open wounds of hate. They mocked us both together. I was drenched with blood flowing from the Savior's side after he had sent forth his spirit. Much have I endured on that hill of hostility. I saw the Lord of hosts cruelly stretched out. Darkness covered His corpse. Shadows spread gray beneath the clouds. All of creation wept, mourning the great King's fall. Christ on the cross, my friend, I watched it all. Then at last, they took Almighty God, lifted Him from His heavy torment. They laid Him down, slain in battle. They built a tomb in the sight of His slayers and they sang a dirge for the glorious lord as the sun set and i i was left standing there all covered in the savior's blood all shot through with the enemy's arrow i wept as his corpse grew cold but not for long for then they cut me down in shame They dug a pit for me to hide me. They buried me as they had the Lord. I have endured the work of evildoers, harsh sorrows on me. The son of God suffered for the world's many sins and ancient deeds. I was made into the worst of torments, most hateful to all people. Almighty God tasted death upon me. And yet. The king of glory. Guardian of heaven's kingdom. Honored me over all the trees of the forest. For the Lord rose again with his great might. To help all humankind. He ascended into heaven. And he will come again to the earth. Almighty God. The Lord himself and his angels with him. The world will tremble then. As it did the day I bore the Savior's body. But no one need to be afraid. For the cross. This root. Is the best of beacons. It is the light and hope of glory. It is the salvation of souls. It was then I awoke from my dream with a happy heart. I have few friends left on this earth. They all live now in heaven with the High Father. They dwell in glory, and each day I look forward to the time. When the victory tree of the Lord, which I have now seen while on this earth, will fetch me from this lone life and seat me at the Lord's feasting table. But until then, may the Lord be my friend. He who here on earth once suffered on the hanging tree, he who ransomed us and gave us life. I tell you, hope is renewed for the Son of God is victorious. The angels sing. The saints rejoice And God Almighty rules over his kingdom without end. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. That is magnificent. The first telling of the gospel in the English language. I don't know if the poet who wrote this story had access to a proper Bible. The first Anglo-Saxon translation of the New Testament wouldn't. Happen for another 200 years. But he or she must have been able to read something. Because. He has the same mystical sense about him as Paul did. In the reading you've heard today. Set your sights. On the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits. In the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things. Of heaven. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. He is risen, my friends, and we will rise with him. This is an ancient benediction, almost as old as the Ruthwell cross from an old Anglo Celtic prayer book. Almighty God and Father, Lord of heaven and earth, in your mercy, lead me, lead me into your presence where there is happiness, where there is security, where there is health, where there is purity of mind, where there is no pain, where there are no problems, no anger, where there is no hunger. Lead me to where there is no deep water, where no fires burn, where no one perishes, where there is no groaning, where there is no weeping, where there is no trouble, where there is, no, where there is only true life and no bitter death. Lead me to where love is strong, where all things are made right, where there is salvation for all. Lead me to the God of gods, to the Lord of lords, to the King of kings. Where there is the light from light and never the darkness of night or soul. Lead me to where the risen Christ rules forever and ever. And God's people.